Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you all, wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Um, today is uh, Thursday, the 24th of November 2022. And for those of you in the UK watching, maybe you are, maybe you aren't aware, but it is Independence Day in, sorry, Independence Day. I'll take that back. That's the 4th of July. It is Thanksgiving uh, in the US. So uh, we could be very light on the ground with our US viewers, but not to worry. You know me. I go live every Monday and every Thursday at 6 p.m. UK time, sometimes with a regular show, sometimes with a guest. But you can guarantee that on a Monday and a Thursday, you will find me here live. And here I am on American in, on American Thanksgiving, I keep saying Independence Day, uh, with another live guest, and I'm really excited. So uh, without further ado, very important, if you're on Twitter, retweet the show. Um, I've actually pinned that in the chat as well. Um, share this link with people you know so we can get more eyes um, on Bitcoin. And there's a disclaimer at the bottom that's just come up, people. It's very important that Nothing we say on these shows are financial advice, so please do your own research. Uh, secondly, there's nearly 500 videos that I've done since 2018 at UKBitcoinMaster.com, so check them out. If you want to find the interviews that I've done today, uh, BitcoinInterviews.com, and this interview with Margot will go there as well once the show is finished, so do check those out. Why am I telling you that? Because if you're new to all of this and you're thinking, well, how do I learn about this stuff? Well, straight away, I've got nearly 500 videos, so you can watch enough of those and that'll help you get to understand why Bitcoin, not crypto? That's a mantra that I believe in. It's a mantra that many of the hardened Bitcoiners believe in. I've been in the rabbit hole now for five and a half years. And for me, without a doubt, it is Bitcoin, uh, not crypto. So do check out the links below. And one more thing before we go, you saw it with the intro, but I'm going to put it up there again. With everything that's gone on these last few weeks and the last handful of months with the meltdowns everywhere, uh, not your keys, people, not your coins. So you know, if you've got any Bitcoin on or any crypto on an exchange, I'm telling you now, for goodness sake, get it off that exchange because seriously, they're dropping like flies. For me personally, I believe, you know, let them go and then Bitcoin will be the phoenix that rises from the ashes. So again, not your keys, not your coins. Get them off those exchanges. OK, uh, very, very quickly, I can see some people, my lovely wife, Elaine, Mrs. UK, is in the house. Always a great support to the show. Uh, John Gravit is with us. John, welcome to you. Uh, UK Bitcoin Farmer, that's my nephew. Welcome to you. UK, uh, Yorkie Bitcoin is in the house. Alon, oh crikey, I am butchering this. Alon Peled, I hope I've said that correctly. Uh, BTD by the dip, most definitely. Uh, Matthew Underhill is with us. Don't forget, people, share it out. Let's get more rivals on the show. I'm going to shoot over to the desktop really quickly before I bring Margot in. And very quickly, if you're looking for a great book as a Christmas gift or a birthday gift and you want something that's not heavy, like the Bitcoin Standard, phenomenal book, I would say the Bitcoin book here by Matthew Underhill. He's in our chat right now. A great book for beginners. So do check that out on Amazon. It's there on Audible as well. So you've got your choice whether you're a, a reader or a listener. Uh, my good friend down in Australia, Bitcoin to the Moon, is selling his asset 
asset portfolio. So if you know anybody, a whale that wouldn't mind parting with 11 Bitcoin, bitcointothemoon.com, BTC to the moon.com and the asset portfolio is up for grabs. Uh, and lastly, I do not run this show for any type of financial gain. But many people have said to me, how can we drop you a tip? If that is you and you want to make a donation, there are three SATS addresses. There's also an address if you want to get rid of some crappy fiat, uh, buymeacupofcoffee.com. But again, this show is not for any type of financial gain. I just run it because I just love talking about Bitcoin. I love trying to educate people wherever I can. And that is why I uh, run the show. So without further ado, it is time to bring in my guest. Now, um, if you are not following Margot on Twitter, I would encourage you to follow Margot and you'll probably get get a good insight as to why as we go through um, this show. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Mar what Margot knows and might talk about could end up going right over my head because this is one clever lady indeed. Uh, you can see there uh, her bio on Twitter. Let me just read out who Margot is and who I'm going to be talking to. So she's a climate change physicist. She's a PhD candidate at the Georgia Institute of Technology. She holds master's degrees in both physics and ethnomusicology. And I'm sure I'll ask her what that is. And most important to today's show, she is a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. So without further ado, let's get Margot in the room and let's have a conversation. Margot, it is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I got that one right this time. But even though it's Thanksgiving, welcome to my show. It's great to have you with me. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a real pleasure. And yes, uh, happy Thanksgiving to thank all you, of thank the you. Americans out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not Independence Day. <laughs> Yeah, that's in the summer. <laughs> yeah, July the 4th. No, absolutely. Uh, people joining the chat, Barefoot Barry from New Zealand, welcome to you. Uh, Dataware, good to see you in the house as well. People, if you want to shout out, type in UK Bitcoin Master, then a message. It will light up in orange for me and I'll gladly give you a shout out. So, uh, Margot, um, great to have you with us. Obviously, what I just read out for me, coming from my type of background that we were talking um, about offline, is like straight over the top of my head. So first things first, what I like to do is to ask my guests if they wouldn't mind telling my audience just a little bit about themselves, what they've done for a living, and then we'll get into discovering Bitcoin. Yeah, sure. So you want to know about me? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yeah, let's have a, yeah, let's know a little bit about the lady I'm talking to. Well, I mean, you've, I mean, you touched on it. I'm, I'm currently a PhD candidate at Georgia Tech. I am a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. I, I studied physics and yep. I also studied music, ethnomusicology, which you pointed out there. But I am mostly a physicist. I've been doing that for much more of of my life than anything else. Being a scientist has pretty much been my trajectory now for a long time. I I got interested in Bitcoin very seriously in starting in 2018. Although, like as we talked about before the show, I had my first Bitcoin experience. I would yeah, say listen in up, the early people, 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the early 2010s, I I actually you know had a wallet trying to mine. Bitcoin, but I didn't understand it. I didn't understand money. I didn't see what the point. I was a computer nerd. 
too, yep. uh, which I think at that early point, probably most people are computer nerds. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought it was just another project on the internet and there, there's lots of those. So I really, I didn't, I completely abandoned it very quickly. And then I, in 2016, 2017, I was listening to one of my favorite techie talk show hosts, radio host named Leo Laporte, AKA mm. the tech guy. Yeah. And he was talking about Bitcoin in just like 2016, 2017 during that bull run. And, and he was like, yeah, I had a wallet with Bitcoin and I can't remember my password. Ah. And when he was saying that, I thought, oh yeah, I, I, I do that too. I wonder if I have the files still somewhere <laughs> backed up because I had backed up that computer and I, and I had the hard drive with the backup, I, but that, that laptop had had died like the screen um, you know died and then the battery pack exploded so i completely abandoned that laptop a, a long time ago so I, I looked and i couldn't find the files so i never backed that part up of my laptop so i don't have that anymore so whatever i had is just gone and i'm sure it wasn't much anyway if there was anything really but it was just the fact that like here bitcoin people were talking about it again and both Leo Laporte and I had the same experience of like, oh yeah, we messed with this several years ago and now it's made all this money and neither of us know how to get back to what we had, <laughs> to what we were messing around with before. So yeah, that was a, that was really, I was kind of bummed, but that I really was like, okay, whatever, no big deal. Then in 2018, I started seeing people being deplatformed from content creator websites. And that's when I realized that we needed a parallel payment system. Yeah, you were and talking so about this in Scotland, weren't I, you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's when I realized that Bitcoin was really important. It wasn't just like, oh, I had, you know, I had some Bitcoin that I, you know, that magically appeared on my computer or whatever, you know, that was attached to my, my keys. It, in, and I could have been rich or something, but it was really more like, oh, okay, this is actually really important. This we need a payment system, we need payment rails that exist outside of the existing system where there is no intermediary, where there is no one that can stop you from making a payment. Yeah. And that's really important because I I saw this happen to people from different backgrounds. So it wasn't just like uh, people that I agreed with on on a certain issue. It was people that I didn't disagree with. Uh, as well that were being deplatformed, and one particular thing that stood out to me was this one content creator platform. It was not a very known content creator platform like Patreon, yeah. But it was called I think it was called Subscribestar. So they had you know they had a couple of hundred content creators from different backgrounds, not political in any way. But then there was this movement at the time to deplatform all people who were associated with the alt right. So that was like uh, Richard Spencer um, and uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, you know, Jordan Peterson had been deplatformed around that time, okay. and and was going to try to make his own content creator platform. And then there were the other lesser known type figures in that space. So so a number of them went on to Subscribestar, which I think that was the name, and and created accounts. And the people who thought that they should not be allowed to make any money for spreading their own their alt-right ideas went and reported Subscribestar to the payment processors, Stripe and PayPal. 
Now, if you actually look into this, Stripe and PayPal are really the only viable way that you as a content creator can make money online with micropayments because the, the fees are pretty high. So, so if you become a high risk person or a high risk merchant, you're going to have so such high fees on your on those transactions on those credit card uh, transactions that it's not viable for you to like say please donate a dollar or three dollars a month or five dollars a month it's not viable after yep. until you get above about five dollars and if the the if and that's with paypal and stripe anything else it's not going to be viable probably at least up over ten dollars and a lot of people depend on those small micro payment uh, uh, subscriptions so Basically, Subscribestar ended up being completely deplatformed. So it didn't just affect those handful of so you know alt-right uh, influencers. It infected uh, everybody who was using Subscribestar, who were innocent, who yep. had nothing to do with with this this politics that was unfolding. And so they were all they all lost access to this platform. And this this and the and Subscribestar had to figure out how to how to still stay in business and, and find another payment processor. So witnessing all of that, I realized this is really bad. This is not a good situation because this could happen to anybody. If yep. somebody just doesn't like you and you seem too risky to, to Stripe or PayPal, they're going to get rid of you. So, so that's when I realized, okay, Bitcoin is really important. And this is something that I need to take seriously. And then it wasn't until or, you know, 2020 in this in that bull run, that I started thinking more about the environmental impacts of Bitcoin, because I had okay, so I had some investment in my Bitcoin since because I I had integrated BTC Pay server into a platform I was developing, and then and then 2020 came around, and then I I saw the the price was going up. And at the same time, there was all of this FUD around the environmental impacts. And, and yep. I would, just like everybody else, I was seeing articles like, oh, Bitcoin reviving these coal plants. Oh, Bitcoin is melting the planet, you know? And as somebody who at around that period also decided to reorient their focus on climate change, because I was working on robotics and physics. So I was building robots to study uh, lizards and snakes moving through sand. So I would build robotic models. I was really a, a, a robo physicist. Yeah. And, and so I completely changed it. I said, no, I need to focus on climate change. This is the most important problem. And I need to figure out what to do about that. So that's how I ended up working on stuff related to climate change in my, my PhD research. So I realized, okay, here I am, I'm attending climate protests and stuff of Fridays for Future and Extinction Rebellion. And yet everybody is saying Bitcoin is really bad for the planet and for climate. This is really, really hypocritical and unethical of me to, to be involved with Bitcoin. So that forced me to, to learn more about the mining side, learn about yep. the protocol that and how the miners operate and, and, and what the long-term trajectory is for, for Bitcoin in, that, in terms of the energy use. And so that's, so that's what I had to do. And I realized that there are certain things built into the protocol that just make sense that it's going to push 
mining to the margins and that miners are going to have to move towards cheap electricity, which is right now is going to be renewable energy like wind and solar and also waste energy. As we're starting to see, a lot of miners are starting to look at at mining with landfill gas or, yeah, or bio waste, you mm. know, and all that. So so once I got to that point, I said, OK, this isn't exactly what people are saying when it comes to the environmental impacts. And then in 2021, I was really frustrated about inaction on climate change. And I was frustrated with politicians who were not, who I felt were not doing enough to, to solve the, the problems around climate change. So I started thinking more deeply about what are the root causes? Why aren't they taking action? What's stopping them? And that's when I really realized that there is something wrong with our existing economic and financial system. And once I got to that point and thinking about that, reading about the, how the economic system works and financialization and, and the great, you know, everything that happened during the great recession and the anger around that. And yeah. I had been at, I was, I participated in the Occupy movement too. So I had sort of a foundation there. And so it was a matter of connecting all of that together. And then realizing, oh, okay, so if we need to create a new economic system, what is the easiest step forward to do that? And it, be, it was obvious to me that Bitcoin is really the only obvious choice in order to make a step in that direction. Yep. So then I wrote... I wrote this 10,000 word essay that I, I split into four parts so that it would be easier for people to read. <laughs> it's called, <laughs> it's called the financial hail Mary for the climate, uh, a, a case for Bitcoin or, wow. or an argument for Bitcoin, something like that. Yeah. So it's on medium. It, you, you can find it on my Twitter account. Uh, I have a, a link in my profile and that's my link tree and the financial hail Mary article is linked in there. So it'll take you to that that four-part 10,000-word essay. So is all this this in in the Policy Institute, or is that what you're doing within the Institute, or did the Institute come after all of this was unraveling? That came after, yeah. So after I wrote the, the Financial Hail Mary essay, I thought, okay, well... I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to read this, but at least I know I wrote it yep. and it's out there. So yep. eventually, if somebody thinks this is worthwhile, they might at least be able to say this person was thinking about this all these years earlier. And yep. that was that was yep. the motivation I had from a friend because I had one Bitcoin friend at the time and he was like, yeah, yeah, no, this is great. You know, at least you got it out there. And later on, if it's too late, they'll be like, oh, yeah. She wrote that <laughs> 10 years ago or something. <laughs> so it was out there. And then I started, then a couple of months went by and then I started thinking, no, I need, I really want to connect with people around this because this is really important. So I, I got, I start, I, I started following people on Twitter and trying to find a like-minded individuals in the Bitcoin space. And I, that's when I connected with Troy. Troy was one of the first people I connected with. And it turned out you know, we were very like-minded and it helped that he had environmentalists in his Twitter profile. <laughs> so that made it a lot easier. And we were, nobody knew us at the time. Nobody knew anything about us. We had very few followers then. And 
and I told him, I was like, yeah, I sent him my essay. And he said, oh, yeah, I had read that. That was helpful. So I was really excited. I was like, wow, you actually read it? That's so cool. <laughs> and and then, I, you know, we just started connecting with other people. And then we ended up being in the same group, uh, like DM group with David Zell, who co-founded the Bitcoin Policy Institute. And David was looking for academics in the space to put this policy institute together. And yep. There's not a lot of science academics in the space who, you know, who are talking about Bitcoin. So I think he really didn't have any other ask me in that sense. So he he did, and I was I said, yeah, of course, I would love to. I'd love to do this. So yeah, so uh, the Bitcoin Policy Institute started in January of this year, January 2022, and it, it seems like it's been so long since it started, but it hasn't even been a year. And so much has happened since then. It's been an incredible journey to go from from where we were December 2021 to where we are now in almost December of 2022. Yeah. It was just an it was just an idea that David and and Grant McCarthy had and and we were all on board to make it happen and it's been it's just been so awesome and to see the trajectory of everyone just take off and to see the idea our ideas to to get have life in the space is is just mind-blowing it really yeah. is and and all of the feedback has been so so wonderful so it's just been a fantastic journey and i'm i'm glad that i could be part of it so um wow <laughs> i could just literally <laughs> ask a question and you just talk and that'll be the show. That's just awesome. <laughs> My viewers don't want to hear from yeah. me. So brilliant. That is superb. <laughs> so le let me roll it back. So you, you were in, you, you, you were mining as far as you're aware, some Bitcoin back in 2010, you know, you didn't know where it was going to go. You couldn't find your keys. I mean, I've been in Bitcoin since 2017 and in 2017, when I got in and I was watching a pod this morning, I can't remember, it was Preston, I think. And they were saying that, you know, back in 27, no, it's Corey Clipston. He was saying there was just nothing out there. There was no Bitcoin signal. It was, you know, it's just, it was Bitcoin and it was Roger Ver wanting to fork off because Bcash was the way to go and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And I was brand new and didn't understand any of this stuff. And of course, then you had the Segwit debate and, and everything that went on. And, and here we are in 2022, just five short years later. And I cannot believe what's happened in those five short years in terms of the space the education, you know, things like, you know, what you're doing, the, 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 the panels that I listen to in Edinburgh. I mean, this space is just so exciting. So I guess what is, what is, forgive me, look, I'm just a regular guy. What is the Bitcoin Institute's ethos, goal? What is it just to bring more awareness around Bitcoin is good for the environment? climate you know the, the climate change issues I don't, I don't know what side of the fence you are on you know is climate change as bad as they say it is and you know i've seen many podcasters that say it isn't it's just there's this narrative just flesh all that out if you will for the audience yeah well, these are all really good questions so first the bitcoin policy institute is a nonpartisan research research organization yep. and we are uh from various backgrounds economics philosophy science 
if you name it, we're, we're there. And what we're, we're trying to do is bring a new a light to Bitcoin that is more expertise oriented and to try yep. to yep. reach people in that space in the more you know the more academic world the policy world and try to educate them on what we understand and what we've learned about Bitcoin in our work and our research so that's what we that's our main goal at the Bitcoin Policy Institute yep. so in turn okay so in terms of the, the climate stuff, I do think that there are incredible risks with not doing anything around Bitcoin because, I mean, sorry about Bitcoin, around climate change, because, uh, you know, a lot of people focus on the models and sure, you there are always good criticisms around how good a model is and how good how successful one can be in forecasting the future it is yep. absolutely true that it is difficult to forecast the future because there are a lot of unknowns but that's why we have lots of scenarios we look at different scenarios to try to get a sense of if we take this snapshot of the present and we don't change that and we evolve that over time what would be the the outcome of that? So yeah. those are how those models tend to work. And that's in the sense of like the effects of the warming itself. Now, yeah. the trajectory of the warming, that is very well understood because that is pretty much just governed by the laws of physics. In a similar way, like we can say, well, we know what how many Bitcoin are going to be rewarded on the in 2140, right? Because that's algorithmically defined. It, 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 it's a little analogous to that. Now, the other thing, though, that I think people are missing is that this is not the first time that we've had climatic change mm. on this planet. Mm. You know, hundreds of billions of years ago, we've, we had a very dramatic uh, change that happened over thousands of years where we, we had all sorts of volcanic eruptions and that basically burned through it, fossil fuels in that period as well. So because, right, we're digging up fossil fuels from the ground and and we're using them in a very, uh, very strategic way, in a very timed way, very uh, focused manner in how we use the fossil fuels, right, to, for our civilization. But they always existed there underground. They've always been there because yep. over time, yep. this this is sort of like the the net result of having an imbalance between the amount of CO two and oxygen that is used in me metabolic processes of of living organisms on this planet. So it's like an interesting side product that results that gives you just a slight imbalance that makes it possible that there can still be some oxygen out in the atmosphere, basically, right? Okay, so. So but something happened. I don't really know exactly, but uh, it ended up causing all these volcanic eruptions and that ended up burning through all, all of the, these fossil fuels that were underground over thousands of years and disrupting the, the, the carbon cycle. And it basically led to a massive extinction uh, okay. on the planet. Okay. Yeah. So now we're doing something, we're doing our own experiment with fossil fuels and we're doing it over a faster time period and we're doing it more you know even you know even though we're doing it with a a, a rationale for doing it and there have 
absolutely been benefits from being able to tap into this massive energy source because it's literally like having a hundred people per person or, you know, a thousand people per person energy wise to be able to, to have all of the things that we have. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yes, that's great. But at the same time, we are, we are also on a path where if we don't do this intelligently, that we could really, we really could risk it, you know, really putting lots of species extinct, including ourselves. Now, the likelihood of that happening is is up for debate, debate and the amount of warming that we would need to get there. We're not there yet. I think that in that experience that like hundreds of millions of years ago, there was like 10 degrees C of warming Celsius, 10 degrees Celsius warming that happened. Right now we're talking about three degrees being the likely thing by 2100. Yeah. But you have to remember that the average parts per million of carbon dioxide was like 190 parts per million and we're over 400 parts per million now. So humans evolved under like half of the parts per million of CO2 that exist in the atmosphere. So you really have to understand that we have no idea either if we can really adapt to increasing yep. that parts per million. So it's like playing a game of Russian roulette. And I don't think that's really smart. I don't think it's intelligent. And I think that we're actually capable of being very intelligent people an intelligent species. And if we're on that quest to be, you know, on that Kardashev scale that you sometimes hear about, hear Bitcoiners talk about, then I think that we really have to look at our energy usage and the type of energy that we use and how we're going to build that civilization around that energy and and do it in a way that is is not going to destroy us in the process so that's that's what i i think and i think bitcoin can play a really good role in all of this it's not very intuitive Uh, you really have to think about it and learn but i think i think this is what i want to get to how how does bitcoin then come into this because before you answer that i mean for me as a regular person Okay, Um, it it just makes total sense to me that if you're going to spew this methane into the, you know, into the 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 air and it's going to convert into toxic fumes and, you know, a Bitcoin miner can actually deflect that away and help the planet. What I don't get is why can't everyone see that? What's the argument? What's stopping, you know, the powers that be, the the the, the clever people in the world going, whoa, this is the answer. We need to do it. I mean, how do we bridge that? Well, there's a huge wall that, <laughs> that has been created between a lot of people and Bitcoin on the environmental side because there there have been incidences or cases where Bitcoin has co-located with a natural gas plant or coal plants. And a lot of people also don't understand how energy works. They don't understand how energy markets work. So they are missing pieces here and they really, they're just reacting to, oh my gosh, that's more fossil fuels being burnt. That's more carbon dioxide being put into the atmosphere. And that's bad because what I know is that we need less carbon dioxide being put into the atmosphere. So that's the gut reaction. 
and and a lot of these articles news articles they play on i feel that they play on people's emotions and and that helps them get a lot of clicks you know and i and so this is a really great story to do that with it really triggers people makes them upset but that becomes a problem for us practically because they're not able to get past that and see other benefits that could be there that yes it's true while it is true that we have seen bitcoin mining operations co-locate with certain fossil fuel plants the trajectory of the network is basically going to move away from that because it just doesn't make sense when you are operating in a near perfect competitive market scenario so that's really how mining works it's like they're mining mining is not a monopoly business even though people like try to claim that there's there's all the centralization going on it's really not when you get into the markets aspect of it each miner is competing with each other the miners don't set the market price you know that's also a mistaken understanding that people think that the bitcoin price is set by the miner but it's not the miners are money takers they're not money makers so they suffer when the price falls right if they could set the market price they would not it would never go well we're seeing that now aren't we there seems to be a capitulation of miners yeah exactly and that's the thing that's the thing that's the network self-correcting and and that's great that's great because it keeps one it maintains a the the market fairly competitive and two, it, it wipes up anything that gets too big. And I think that's really important. And that's something that actually naturally happens in, in the bio biophysical world, that if you grow too fast and you don't set your roots too deep, you could totally be wiped up, wiped out under under uh like a stresses, natural balancing, isn't you know, it? Environmental stress. Yang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So the miners are experiencing that right now, the ones that, that took on too much debt. They collateralize with their mining equipment, you know, and mm-hmm. now they're they're suffering. So they're they're learning. They're paying the price, and they're gonna, some of them are going to get wiped out. So the so it just becomes obvious once you start really understanding the economics of it that the, this this era of co-locating with a plant, an energy plant, where you have to buy the fuel, is not going to be fi- viable in the long run. And the question really is, well, how long is that long run or how short is that long run? Right. And I think we're starting to see that already where companies are are talking about, yeah, we're we're planning to move into waste energy in the coming year, next couple of years. Like that's right on our table, uh, you know, on our plan, because that's just going to be the most realistic thing. And people I think companies right now that are co-locating starting to co-locate with renewable energy are the ones that are probably going to be better off in the next couple of years because they understand that that the cost is has to be driven to zero as much as possible per kilowatt hour and renewable energy suffers from deflation Hmm. value deflation so that is naturally also going to be driven to zero so it's just a matter of time, and I think it, it's it's going to happen within the next five years or, or so. We're really going to see this shift, and it's starting. I think I'm starting to see pockets here and there of this happening. So, yeah, just really in some ways, it's kind of like well, you really don't have to do anything about it, but 
<laughs> because the the it's just the the market dynamics will seem to just naturally drive it that way but but anyway the your your question was like what stops them from getting it i mean it's because they don't see all of this right they don't see this part all they see and they is don't want to do that you're putting co2s <laughs> no they don't they don't because everybody needs uh, an enemy needs a bad guy it's easier to have that to have somebody to to blame and bitcoin has become a really great thing to blame for the world's problems for melting which is, planet, which is why when, I, when i'm running my bitcoin. shows i i always i always like to pull these articles out and remind people you know the articles that i think it was the that the world economic forum i think it was said that you know bitcoin would use all the all the energy in the world by 2020 and you know here we are in 2022 and we're using like one percent of it i mean don't get don't quote me on this i don't understand it all but it's just a narrative that they constantly spin and if you've if you got what i call lateral thinking if you can think outside the box if you've got critical thinking you can say to yourself why might they say that what are they trying to protect or what don't they don't want what don't want what don't they want to give up by you know the narrative they're putting out there that, that they've got to protect something haven't they really yeah I, think, I mean there's some some of that there's there are people out there who are threatened by bitcoin so they're going to put out a narrative that makes Bitcoin look really bad. And there are, I'm certain there's powerful people. I mean, central banks now are trying to put out the central bank digital currencies. And that's really mm. all about control. Yeah. And Bitcoin mm. is, is not about control. It's the opposite of that. Yep. It's really, it's really, <clears throat> it's really about giving people uh, the freedom to participate if they want to or if they don't. And I think that's something that we really don't have in our societies, this this freedom. Mm. So I think for a lot of us, when we get into Bitcoin and really start to understand it, having a touch, a taste of that freedom is is very powerful. <laughs> it's, it's very powerful and it, it changes, it reorients the way that you imagine the world, which is which I think is really important because I personally think them up a political structures, more bottom-up organization of society rather than top-down organizations of society. And anything that gets people thinking like, okay, if we can have a decentralized money, why can't we have a decentralized society? And what does that mean? What does that look like? So that becomes exciting in, in and of itself and things to think about. So yeah, so uh, there's, there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of just spending a lot of time around something that gives you the freedom to participate in the way that you want to uh, without any gatekeepers or intermediaries. Uh, I, I, have I, I really say, hope that that. I, I have to say, yeah. you know, just, just from my own perspective, it almost like adds 10 years to your life just by being involved and around this because it's it's so exciting you know for humanity you know the the possibilities of what this can do for the planet for humanity for personal sovereignty personal freedom banking the unbanked this is just to name just a handful of things uh 
uh, data where I think that is said this renewable energy being deflationary. That comment just blew my mind. Never thought about energy being deflationary in, in general. Amazing point. So way to go there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's it's actually a problem, <laughs> believe it or not, because, you know, basically you have, let's say, you know, solar plants, they all produce power at the same time. And and because they're inflexible, they can only produce power at the same time. So they're all competing with the same exact product. Yeah. Right. And that just naturally drives down prices because the variable renewable energy market isn't so unlike the Bitcoin market in this, you know, from the miners perspective, you're, you're producing the same product and, and there's, you don't have a, a, a competitive edge really over the other very much. So the only way that you compete is to drive down those prices, the price of what you're selling and, or the, or the price of your operation. Right. And, and, uh, and so it's deflationary and as a result, and it's it, it actually at times risks making renewable energy economically unviable because of that because it is too deflationary in some way the value deflation you know if you could co-locate a bitcoin mining operation with your solar farm let's say put 20, 10 maybe 10 percent of that towards mining the rest of it you sell to the grid and then now suddenly you have this extra revenue and you can start, you can hedge around that and you can build a whole model. Maybe you're, you're, you're doing some kind of arbitrage between the electrical grid, Bitcoin mining and batteries. And now suddenly you have some way to minimize that risk and, and balance that deflation so that the investment that you've made into that solar operation uh, is viable. Right. Mm. So, so that's, that, that's, the the part that that it could be po potentially beneficial for the renewable energy system energy market if they co-locate with bitcoin mining so yes yeah, it's, it's deflationary because there's an abundance of wind and solar and and everybody who's producing the power is doing it at exactly the same time and they're all using the same panels pretty much so there's not the competitive there's no easy competitive advantage over the people the other person or the other solar plant in the market it's as uh data where just said it's just it's mind-blowing you know i'm i'm uh, just barely scratching the surface of what i'm learning about bitcoin you know and those panels in scotland you were one of them you know and we had obi and people like that on the other panels they were just they were mind-blowing and i was trying Margot, to keep up with it all. And, you know, just <laughs> listening to you now, you know, <clears throat> it's hurting my head because I don't understand <laughs> a lot of it. But I'm sure, you know, the, some of my audience will get it and maybe, you know, they'll get something from this type of conversation. Me, I'm just a, a boomer who saw this five and a half years ago and thought I've got a way to protect my my family's future for, and, and create some generational wealth when I'm not here so that my my children, grandchildren and great grandchildren can live in a maybe a better, fairer world um, that doesn't blow itself up, doesn't implode on itself or doesn't do something to itself that you've just been talking about and you know over the last sort of half an hour or so so uh, here's a question 
how wh where do you feel this will go say within a decade i don't know maybe by 2030 forget bitcoin's price by 2030 you know these podcasts now if you, if you, if you've got the right signal it's not about what's bitcoin price what's it going to be next week no one's interested in that if you are deep enough down the hole the price does not matter this is this movement is way way bigger than the price of bitcoin and this is why i think crypto bods don't get this and bitcoiners do get this so you know when when we talk of 2022 and 2030 you know eight years away i mean that's a heck of a long time what can you see playing out around everything you've been talking about and bitcoin in general for the world say by the end of this decade margot that's a big one isn't it yeah it's i'm trying to figure that out actually if you had try on here i think try would be more willing to give you this really great grandiose projection of the future but I'm, I'm i'm always hesitant to do that because i like to try to quantify these things a little bit more because i i have a sense of what of what things could happen just based off of the the protocol itself yep. but there are there's always a lot of uncertainties and so i'm i'm trying to figure that out Trying to, I'm, I'm hoping that I might be able to, to, to do this this year is to come up with a model of the network itself so that I can go through these scenarios to actually see because, you know, in the early 2030s, it's going to be the first time that the block reward is going to fall below one Bitcoin. Yep. And there, for me, the big question is how, what is going to happen to the mining profitability when Bitcoin, the Bitcoin block reward falls but below one Bitcoin. So there's a lot of question around the price and transaction fees, the volume of transactions, the hash rate. Is there going to could what will the hash rate continue to grow or is there is it going to be a peak hash rate during that period? Right. So there's a lot of uncertainty. But what I do know for sure is that the miners are going to be forced farther and farther to the into the margins of profitability and that they're going to have to do not only figure out how to drive their cost per kilowatt hour to zero but also how do you subsidize that with alternative or additional revenue streams yep. so they're going to have to sell their heat which we are starting to see they're going to have to sell the heat byproduct and and they're going to have to find something some other way to, to sell, to have revenue, to, to hedge those bear markets and situations where they're really, really just barely making it. You know, it's a question of, can these mining operations continue to grow year after year when, when the, the mining reward drops below one Bitcoin and let's say transaction fees still stay uh, to be as a small percentage, right? And if they can't grow, then they become a break-even industry. You know that there are implications there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of questions.